following is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? This is Talkin' Cowboys. Streaming live from the Dallas Cowboys World Headquarters at the Star in Frisco. Hand off, Elliott plowing to the goal line. Barry sacked by Lord. Prescott keeps it, and he bangs it into the touchdown. Hello and welcome to Talking Cowboys 101. I'm Heckman Harrison, and obviously, I don't have my guys with me today. The three screens are gone, uh, but that's okay. Uh, Isaiah, Rob, and Kyle will be back with me on regular schedule once the season uh, gets kicked off, and God knows we're all hoping for that. But today, I have a special guest, a 10-year NFL vet, all-pro, Ivy League Hall of Famer, Author, <laughs> former ESPN uh, NFL analyst, and current host of Speak for Yourself on Fox Sport One, from Compton to Columbia, mm. my man Marcellus, that dude Wiley. How are you, brother? Oh, I'm doing great, man. And uh, thanks for the obituary before I'm. <laughs> it always feels good, but I know who I'm talking to right now, so. I gotta I gotta address the elephant in the room first and foremost. I'm wow. sorry, Dallas Cowboys, for who you got in terms of Marcellus Wiley in production and performance. My one year cup of coffee in Dallas. But <laughs> I was so blessed to be one to call Dallas one of my four homes in the NFL. And I still get the most uh, love and adoration and fan support from the Dallas Cowboys, despite me giving them my worst performances. But, <laughs> hey, sometimes you're the last person to realize that you're no good anymore, and I realize that in Dallas for Parcells. <laughs> hey, once a cowboy, always a cowboy. You know the motto. And so this whole one-on-one series that we have, man, it's all about going and, and talking and having those conversations with former cowboy players or someone that's linked into the Metroplex. So this is this is a really important series for us. And man, I, I'm just so thankful to have this opportunity to sit down and talk shop with you. But before I get started, man, I want to just ask you, how are you and your family uh, dealing with all of this COVID-19-ism, uh, man, that we're having to deal with right now? Yeah, uh, my wife, uh, I'm so blessed to have her in terms of her understanding of the medical world. She's an anesthesiologist and with a nurse background, she understands exactly how we should tackle medical issues and health issues when they're obviously invading everyone's life right now in terms of the personal, the public space, what you should do in terms of mask and social distancing. Uh, she's a great translator of all the information that is flying by me and all of us left and right. That said, um, I've really created my own island um, in terms of my social distancing, my quarantining. We've been as great as you can be in, in these circumstances. And my kids, thankfully, uh, three of them are very young, four, one, and a couple of months old. So they don't know any different unless we show it in our emotions, show it in our reactions. Yeah, they miss school, but at that age, two of them didn't even attend school. And my four-year-old was like, well, this is a long break, Dad. And uh, we talk about corona, and there are some things he asked for. And I say, well, once the coronavirus is gone... So now he uses that a part of his conversation. Like, once the coronavirus is gone, Dad, can we go here? So 
I protected my energy. I protected my family. And I know a lot of people are affected in a negative way by this. And I make sure to have my empathy for them and do my part, which is be responsible, socially distance, and make sure I keep that mask on. Everybody has to do that. And that is the going thing going for everybody. You know, keep that mask on, stay, stay safe, and just really happy to hear that you and your family are dealing well with this because these are adverse times. I mean, I've never seen anything like that. I know you haven't uh, either. So it's definitely an adjustment to everyone's lifestyle. But I want to relate this to the NFL and what's going on right now. You being a 10-year veteran, uh, in the NFL and having to get your body prepared for the rigors of an NFL season. And you have articulated that very well uh, in your career as a broadcaster. Uh, but just looking at the, the, the new environment with COVID-19 and also having to get ready for a season, Man, just from your opinion, do you believe that we're going to see a traditional NFL season that starts in September and finishes in February? Uh, we will see an NFL season. It won't be traditional, and that may be a positive. Uh, take you back a couple months where we had the draft, and it wasn't a traditional draft, but it was a positive in terms of us watching these players in the comforts of their home and even the commissioner sitting there on this his big sofa just chilling. You, you humanize the experience because a lot of times you can get far away from the core of the matter, which is someone made their dreams a reality. The first pick overall, Joe Burrow and Mr. Irrelevant. Well, I don't know his name. That's the point. That guy made his dreams a reality as well as undrafted free agents. And it was just good to see the human element come out using the technology like we're using right now. And it was the highest rated draft in history. So, like, it was a positive, net positive. I think that's going to be the same with the NFL season. Two things are going to be at play, and I, I want fans to understand. One, that football in the NFL is a television product. They make billions and billions of dollars because of TV rights. They make millions and millions of dollars because you get to go to the game and get to sit there in your seat and buy popcorn, buy beer, and get a jersey. Y'all know the math. Billions versus millions. Billions are going to win. So what they need to do is lean into, look, we understand the economic health balance. And you can't say this in so many ways. You got you to gotta know how to dance with elasticity in this one. But I'm going to say it to you correctly and directly. We have to treat COVID when it comes to the NFL experience like we do physical injuries. If you get a high ankle sprain, you're out four to six weeks. If you get corona, you're out two weeks quarantining. Simple as that. Don't care who the player is. Sorry. Don't care what team it happens to. And sorry, we're not stopping the NFL. Why do you have to approach it that way? Because anything short of that, you're going to be jump-starting and stopping. Foot on the brake, foot on the gas. And you're not going to go near where you're intending. So I think fans will understand from leadership if they say, we're going to play this year, but no fans in attendance. And a fella said, well, depending on city by city, state by state, we will have fans. I'm okay with that. But if we don't have fans, imagine this. You're watching the game at home, and we all know we love a game at home. Because if you're at home, you get to watch all the games, whether it's red zone, flipping the channel. You got eight hours of straight football, if not more. No traffic, no long bathroom lines, nobody yelling at you, security not running by you because someone just had a fight. All that stuff, 
gone. It's you, the remote, your beer. You're chilling. And then you're watching the game. You're like, where are the fans? Oh, they are there. CGI. We watch Jurassic Park, and we have never seen a real dinosaur in our life, but we think they're real when we watch Jurassic Park. They need to CGI the fans into the arenas and make them guys jump up, make them gals jump down, make them scream, make them have boredom. Whatever happens during a normal course of a game, give me three hours of fake people in the, si- in the stands on the sideline and give me my normal football game. That's as close as we can get to reality, and I think that's the best proposal. You just tied in Jurassic Park and CGI and to the fan experience. Dog, let me, uh, I got it. Because Jurassic Park, one of my favorite movies, and I, when you said CGI, I was right there with you in the bubble, contained everybody. Else. You got no hands out the window. Don't get your own made off. You know, so that's the same thing, absolutely, with the virus. But, you know, with things restarting uh, with the MLB, uh, restarting their season. Also, the NBA. And, man, what they're doing at Disneyland, I mean, they're putting these guys in a bubble for three months. There's not going to be any outside, you know, nobody going outside, nobody going inside. And when you think about that as a player, with everything that they're trying to do to ensure that there will be a season, is that something that you think that you could have adhered to during your playing days? Hey, it's a lot of reports about how the bubble's going to look. Some people call it a bubble. Some people call it an illusion because you got to be real. Like those service essential workers, uh, room service, uh, the maids, they're going home. They're not staying in that bubble. Like, you know, so the bubble is not even perfect, whether it's in reality or even in imagination. It's not going to be perfect. And the players supposedly can go to certain local restaurants. Uh, supposedly they can go golf you know, take their mind off the game. That's going to break the bubble as well. So that's why I lean into what I said, which may sound a little heartless, but it's the reality. If someone contracts it, put them in a corner. E.T., y'all seen the movie, put them in a bubble, his own little baby <laughs> bubble. And he just got to sit there for two weeks. That's that's life. He has a high ankle sprain for two weeks. That's how we're going to treat him. But in reality, what I've been able to do it, absolutely I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I'll tell you exactly my emotional thought process. It will be this. I get paid not for the things I want to do. I get paid the big bucks playing a child's game for the things I don't want to do. Because they give us millions and millions of dollars, and we have to make tremendous sacrifices. But guess what? They also pay you for all the things that are not glamorous about the game. So you got to keep that in mind that a paycheck comes with service. And I have to serve not only my job and something that is a dream that is now a reality for me, but more so than that, you have to look at it from the perspective of, I only have so many years to do this. I don't care how good, how great I am. I have the finite shelf life. I only have a few years to do this, whether that's 10 years, 20 years, or two years. That is short in comparison to what life is offering you. So as a means to an end, which sports are, I have to go out there, get my game on while I still can, while I'm still of healthy mind, body, and spirit. So for me, it would have been a no-brainer. People would be like, wow, you're not nervous? I said, yeah, but I've been nervous for every football game, too. I still played, didn't I? So I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to understand the risks. 
but I know I will be out there trying to ball out. All good, man. Well, listen, we got to get down to it. You got to buckle your seatbelt, man. Pull your ashtray out because we're bringing some smoke right now. Uh, I want to talk to you about this year's the Cowboys team that obviously everybody thought that the Cowboys would be going defense at 17. And when you saw the Cowboys take C.D. Lamb at pick 17, were you as surprised that, he, that the Cowboys picked him at 17 or that he fell to 17? More than he failed to 17, watching him play, whew, some of those Oklahoma games, you're like, golly, like he was a joystick out there just just going through the defenses. You're like, this dude is special, next-level talent. And, look, I, I'm one of the guys that lean offense when it comes to how you should approach your, your, your scouting, approach your personnel, and your philosophy. You got to lean into the offensive weapons. Because I played defense. I actually played on the number one defense in the NFL one year. We lost in the wild card game. <laughs> you understand? People don't get this. I'd be like, I'm trying to tell y'all, if a, a great offense versus a great defense, the defense is going to lose 101 times out of 100. And it may not add up like that in the numbers. I get it. But in reality, in my mind, I'm like, a great defense will keep a team to three points, six points. Yeah. A great offense is like, we can score on 30. Like, we putting up 30. So, Minimum. And so I'm like, when you have that collision course, if it's a tie, if they're comparable, lean offense. It's much easier to score than to go out there and say you're not going to score. So you one mistake, one gap assignment that is missed, that's six points. And that could be the ball game. You're a great defense. You gave it one play. But that offense is like three and out. Three and out. We saw it last year with the Chiefs. Three and out. Three and out. Three and out. Oh, they're down 10. Oh, they're down 21. And, and, <laughs> what, what, what? And then it's over. So I'm glad the Cowboys leaned offense. I'm glad they leaned into the receiving core, even though they already have a great duo. Now you got to go. And Dak Prescott just has more weapons to play with. So I think it was a smart play. All right, now, if if you know anything about Dallas, man, there's a date that we all have circled on the calendar, and that's July the 15th. And I'm sure you, like everybody else, your, your phone just blew up with a notification that somebody, you know who, you know where, just got a 10-year deal, which amplifies everything that we have going here in Dallas with Dak Prescott. What do you think that Dak has to do, or what hasn't he done to actually get that contract that pushes him into that stratosphere of some of your upper echelon guys in the league. Yeah, it's amazing that there's a new ceiling in the NFL based on this new 10-year deal, right? And if I'm Dak Prescott, I'm like, the ceiling is heaven. <laughs> like, woo, 10-year deals, and we don't know the numbers yet, but for me, I'm not signing anything under $500 million. Like, if it's not half a billion because of the TV deals and the new CBAs, hell no, I'm not signing it. So we'll see what the numbers are. But that can't do anything else. This is on Jerry. This is on Steven in terms of chasing that high. And I know it's tough. I, it's easier said than done. Their first six years owning the team, they won three Super Bowls, y'all. Like, imagine buying a team and then you blink and you're like, oh, every other year we won in the Super Bowl. And in contention pretty much every other year. Insane. But now, since that moment in 96, they've been chasing that high. And they spent money here, there, everywhere trying to get it. And then finally, they find a fourth rounder who basically is supposed to sit there behind Romo and chill, 
Romo gets hurt. He comes in. He wins 13 games his rookie year. And I think somewhere in their spirit, they said, maybe this is the time we don't have to spend it and we may win. <laughs> maybe we can get him on the cheap finally because we spent all our money trying. Let's try a different approach. First time ever a Cowboys quarterback has been franchised, despite when you put the gun to his head last year and said, uh, we're not going to give you a new deal. Go out there and play your last year of this deal out. He just went out there and PR, personal record, said, oh, before you said, oh, team success, yes, but you don't have the individual numbers. Then he went out there and got the individual numbers and said, stop moving the goalposts, homie. I know what it is. You're trying to keep me for the low low. All right. Here's the problem, Jerry and Steven. The low low keeps getting higher and higher because when Dak looks at what Patrick got and what Deshaun's going to get, and it won't last as long, but maybe a Lamar Jackson next year. Oh, good Lord. And then they're going to keep coming and keep coming because you're going to have, uh, I don't know where the Trevor Lawrence we can talk about, Tua maybe. How about just too many guys are going to get paid? Jimmy G was the highest paid quarterback in the in the league two years ago. Now he's like mid-pack. So the point <laughs> of this is, and if you don't want to pay him now, you certainly going to pay him later. Yeah, the price goes up. It don't go down, right? So, <laughs> absolutely. So, and enough, what I want to get to is something that I think is is very awesome about your career. Now, you have played for some Hall of Fame coaches, and Marv Levy and Bill Parcells, and Marty Schottenhammer is a guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, just my personal opinion. Um, yeah, man. And in that transition for you in San Diego, your coach first was Mike Riley. And then, obviously, Mike Riley gets gets let go. And then in comes Marty Schottenheimer, a coach that has respect already of the locker room from what he's done in the league already. Looking at this current Cowboys regime change from Jason Garrett to now Mike McCarthy, how do you feel that this veteran group is going to be able to deal with the mind state change and just, you know, just overall strategy change with Mike McCarthy? Well, I think it's going to go well. Um, Mike McCarthy's kind of underrated as a coach. He has a Super Bowl shift, high win percentage. People sleep on him. He wasn't even in the top 10 rankings I just saw a couple of days ago. And I'm like, hmm, we got other guys in there. And this guy's won it all and helped evolve Aaron Rodgers into one of the greatest quarterbacks we've seen. But for some reason, I guess because he had reports of getting a massage at work, which I've done, I've done a thousand times. Like, <laughs> That all of a sudden means he's not a great coach. Whatever. BS. Anyway, we move forward to the point where we're here now. And you get a coach that walks in, and every coach walks in like they're the new sheriff in town. And here's my new set of rules and laws. Remember, whenever you see someone, and, and football is militaristic, it's kind of like, yes, sir, no, sir, I do the right things. You got an assignment, you go out there and you do your assignment. Whenever you see someone in that position, you always check their sleeve and you check their stripes. And if it's a former player, they got a certain level of stripes. If it's a guy who has a record of winning and success and building programs, he has more stripes. You look at Mike McCarthy's, that sleeve is full of stripes. So his message should resonate quickly with these guys, and it should be effective because you trust in it. Most of the time you waste with a new coach is just trying to trust them. You're like, all right, I hear you. And especially when it's a younger coach than you, it's tough. But Sean McVay disproved that. But you get this young guy in there. He wasn't even good. He didn't even go pro. And they're like, man, if he don't shut up. And especially if it doesn't work fast. So Mike McCarthy 
he has that luxury of experience, a resume, and it should work for the Cowboys. Absolutely. Now, when you look at the going, going, and I want to touch on something that I think is going to resonate with you, and that's the Cowboys' defense. Now, they had their struggles last year. It's documented. Uh, they lost some guys in, in production with Robert Quinn who went to uh, the Chicago Bears, but they did upgrade with Don Terry Poe and Gerald McCoy. Alden Smith being reinstated into the league and also Randy Gregory. It, with the addition by subtraction, maybe mantra that we're going into with this season, do you believe that the Cowboys have solidified uh, their front as a defense? Well, definitely on paper, uh, you got to respect that. Here's the thing: uh, you look at look at this team, and you look at their underachievement last year, and maybe their overachievement a couple years ago. What's the law of averages? Like, where are they really in terms of talent, and more so in execution? A lot of times, you get lost in the talent conversation because you just read the names and you read their their production. You think it all adds up. It's not about adding up. It's about fitting in. You know, and a lot of times you can be greater than the sum of your parts or lesser. Form that chemistry, that bond, the unspoken language. When you can have that as a defensive end with your defensive tackle, just look at him. He like, yeah, I know. We about to get this. We run a play that we don't even have to call or even have to speak on. That's what you need, that cohesion. Um, so the projections of the defense, yeah, they look talented. Yeah, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder because last year they kind of let the Cowboys down based on expectations. But it has to come together. I am not one to predict how things are going to look because I've had too many teammates that said, yes, sir, no, sir, war paint. All right, let's go out there and kill them. And sorry as hell. And then I had guys who was just laying back, chilling, watching, watching TV, reading magazines, giggling, and go out there and destroy your butt. So it's about collective mindset and cohesion. We'll see how they play it. Now, for Gerald McCoy, what I think is very interesting, this guy has been all-world, all-pro in his career. Now he's at the downside of his career. And relating this to your time in the NFL, 10-year, uh, your 10-year career, Gerald McCoy, this is going to be his 10th year as, you know, Cowboy Nation. Our expectation of Gerald McCoy is he's come in and fix the problems that we had up front. How do you feel, he, he, where do you feel he is right now in his where his production will be after 10 years in the league. Yeah, I mean, this pretty much in terms of perception will be his last attempt to preserve that name of Gerald McCoy. And it's, you know, look, it's hard to make an NFL roster, let alone get on the field and make plays, let alone be a name that everyone knows when you say it. Gerald McCoy. Oh, yeah, I know who he is. So he's already had tremendous success. To live in that same realm in perception of expectation, this is it. He messes up this year, trust me. They're going to be looking at him like, yeah, all right. Um, yeah, you can, you can like, try for the position. You can work to be the starter. Like, it's just a whole different animal, and I've been there. I've been at the top of the mountain and at the bottom, going down fast with no breaks. I know how it goes. So this is the last <laughs> opportunity where people will hold him before seeing it in high regard. The problem is, if you don't live up to this moment, if you fall short in this moment, even if you do great things next, in the next situation, next year, whatever it may be, they're going to be hesitant to give you your fair due. So if he's Gerald McCoy of old, which I expect, 
he knows what it is. This is some crazy circumstances to try and like continue your career of greatness. But he needs to be on his grind and on his mission and stand out. If not, it's gonna be a far, far drop from what it used to be. Marcellus, uh, there was a name that I left off that list and Marcus Lawrence. Now, being here in the Dallas market, we look at our guys through a, a microscope. You know, we're concentrating on them all the time. You, a guy that's a part of the national media, you look at everybody, all 32 teams. But in your opinion of, of Demarcus Lawrence, he's all world to us, right? But do you see him as that apex predator, top five guy, and his position in the NFL? D-Law, man, woof, that dude the ball. Um, got a chance to talk to him this offseason as well. Love the guy. On the field, off the field, or respect for him. Um, what you have to do is find the consistency necessary to be one of the greats. And that's something that is very difficult to achieve. I had two great years, uh, and then a couple of uh, years, and then mm, who's that? And the point of it is the greats. I played with Bruce Smith. I played, I was drafted to be the next Bruce Smith. He left. They cut Bruce Smith because of me. That's like walking around saying they cut Michael Jordan because of you. You're like, yeah, I'm the man. I've been in that place. I've been in those shoes. If you can't consistently stay in that position, and last year was not the best of D-Law. And, and D-N is so weird. What do you have? Five sacks. So D-N is weird. You can go out there and not do that much, and the ball just drops, and the quarterback is grabbing it, and you grab it, sack. There's times when you could just have contained. Coach, like, all you got to do is run up the field and stay still. Quarterback bootlegs right to you. There are plays when you're like, yo, I ain't really, like, do that much, and I got one. And then there are plays where you beat three dudes. And on the third, second, fourth, second, you're going right to the quarterback, he throws the ball. And that gets nothing. That gets no measurement, no metric. So I, I saw the film of D-Law. He still got it. D-Law has top five potential. The years prior to this, he showed that in execution and production. But it's tricky out there. Watching Bruce Smith, knowing, studying the game, studying guys who did that, consistently excellent for 5, 10, 15 years. Woo! That's a whole different animal than having a couple of good years and one suspect. So I just want to see the consistency. I think he has the talent. I think he has the mindset. It's just you got to keep those numbers up there or we're going to come at you, bro. Marcellus, that is a wonderful answer. Thank you for that. And I think, you know, again, the way that we see him, he's all world, you know, and his comparable. We know that he's that dude, too. Right. Uh, but I got something for you, man. I got some rapid for wrapping this whole thing up. I got some rapid fire questions for you. I, look, man, I've done my homework on you, done my homework on you. I know all about you, man. It's been a pleasure just getting to see your career and where you came from and all of that, man. So I know you being a California guy, California is the land of tacos. So we're going <laughs> to we're gonna get this started right. Corn or flour tortillas? Corn, no doubt. Oh, no corn, no doubt. All right. So players, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott. McCaffrey. What? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I love you, Zeke, but I need a little more consistency. You let Dak down last year. The holdout, using Marshall Falk as your microphone, and then some of these issues off the field. I ain't hurt. I, I C Mac, none of that. And C Mac <laughs> and C Mac playing nine positions <laughs> with no quarterback. Yeah, C Mac. All right. So 
You spent time at Columbia, so you're a bit of a New York guy as well. So New York pizza, Roscoe's chicken and waffles. The best question ever, because they both are the best. Um, I will have to go Roscoe's because my rationale is I've had great pizza outside of New York, but I haven't had great chicken and waffles really outside of Roscoe's. And even Roscoe's has fallen off because the chicken ain't as good, but the waffle, <laughs> the waffle has never lost a game in its life. But the chicken, they need a, they need to actually import Popeyes into Roscoe's for the chicken part and keep their waffles. That's my answer. All right, so big question because I know you are a Compton, California guy that went to Columbia all the way to New York during the height of the East Coast, West Coast of beef. Tupac or Biggie? Woo! You are wrong for these questions. I would have to take Tupac because he had more albums, more songs, more body of work. But in terms of, like, who's the better rapper? Who? Biggie. Biggie had two albums. One was a double disc. One just a regular album. And he already went to Mount Rushmore on two albums. You were like, golly. His flow, his delivery, his style, his lyrical play, beats, everything. Like, Biggie, Biggie was better for me. Like, in terms of songs, top, he's a top-heavy roster. But the depth, like, Pac has so many and so many different styles of himself. So, ah, if they both had the same amount of songs, it would be Biggie. But Biggie, it, it ended too short, man. It was too short a career. Kind of Terrell Davis to, to like, a Barry Sanders or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you are so conflicted on that. <laughs> I know, I'm hurt. Well, I tell you what, Marcellus, thank you so much for sitting down with me, man. I hope that we get an opportunity to do this again, man. Stay healthy. Uh, Yeah, man, these are some strange times. And also, I want to tell everyone that's watching this, thank you for tuning in. But if you get an opportunity to order the book, Never Shut Up by Marcellus Wiley, you could go to his website, MarcellusWiley.com, and order the book. Did I do that right? Did I plug it right? You did it right, man. I appreciate you so much. Cowboys, my my father's favorite team since hello. He's from Tyler, Texas. It was a dream come true to play for the Cowboys and respect the Cowboys nation no matter what, man. Always got love for you because they show me so much. And I'm Heckman Harrison, and this is Talking Cowboys.